This morning, um, I thought I might just start with a story. I was really stirred up last weekend listening to all of those amazing testimonies of people over the last sort of three weeks who have sort of been reawakened to their identity in God and then risking actually being who they are in God for the benefit of the world and for putting Jesus on display. I mean, if you didn't get to hear the testimonies last weekend, get on SoundCloud. The details are there in the notices. Get on SoundCloud and listen to them. They're incredible stories of how Jesus is transforming life and empowering people to do the works of the kingdom. Well, one of those stories was, was Tavia, and Tavia shared this great story about how, you know, after a couple of weeks of, you know, listening to people like John Bajaya and Robbie Dawkins and others, she got all stirred up about actually, you know what, God's invested all of this stuff in my life about who he is and how he wants to use me, and then she risked stepping out into real life with real love and power. You may remember her story, or if you didn't hear it, part of that story was there was this moment of battle for Tavia when she woke up and said, oh my gosh, I want to do this stuff with you, Lord, but there's people out there, <laughs> and I might actually run into people, and so I might actually have to do this stuff. But anyway, So anyway, God was gracious and, and led Tavia into encountering his love for other people. And she told of two really awesome encounters that happened. Well, I was listening to that. I was just kind of sitting over here and I was listening to that going, that's, that's like so totally inspirational to me. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, God, I want, I want to do more like Tavia does. Because <laughs> Tavia is going hard after Jesus. She's pursuing Jesus, the way of his kingdom. I want to do that too. And so anyways, um, on Sunday, I was with Caitlin and we were out doing some grocery shopping at Woolworths and Sunday afternoon and on the way out of the grocery store I had my my uh, you know bag with milk and snags and bread and all that fun stuff for the barbecue and uh, as I was uh, getting through the checkouts I walked outside the, 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 the checkout door and then all of a sudden as I'm kind of walking back to the car I look across and there's this uh, lady sitting there with t- uh, crutches and she's wearing a big moon boot. You know those moon boots, medicine boots, you know, that hold your, your leg in place. She'd obviously damaged it. And I kind of walked past it and I just went, you know, I can't ignore that. And so I walked back to her and I just said, oh, what have you done to your leg? She said to me, oh, well, I've injured it playing netball and it's all twisted up. And she gave me all these you know, technical terms of what had actually happened, but I wasn't really listening to that. I was just like, hurt ankle, hurt ankle. <laughs> you know, that, was, that ankle is hurt. And so um, I kind of, then I kind of sat down next to her and I introduced myself to her and she told me her name was Tammy. And uh, after listening to her story, I said, hey, listen, do you think it would be all right if I could just pray for you that Jesus would come and touch you with his healing power right now? And she said to me, actually... I would like that. And so I went, great. And so I just reached down and put my hand to her ankle and just said, you know, God, would you just let your presence fall on Tammy right now? Let her know how much you love her. We just speak to all the pain in her ankle to leave. We speak to all the damage. We tell it to become brand new in the name of Jesus. 
and that Tammy would be knowing above all else in this moment that you, God, are touching her and what a relationship with her. So I just pray that very simple kind of prayer. And um, as I finished doing that, um, I said to her, so what's happening? Are you feeling anything? And she said, well, actually, I'm not feeling anything in my ankle, but she said, I'm feeling something here inside me. And I said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, it feels like all of a sudden my heart got really expanded and became large. And I went, oh, I said, you know what that is? And she's like, no. (laughs) I said, that's Jesus. And he's letting you know that he loves you and is concerned for your life and your healing. And he wants to come and be, you know, a good king to you. And she said, you know, I've actually, just a few weeks ago, my grandmother died of cancer. And she said, and I left religion when I was about 15. And Tammy's in her mid-30s. And she said, I left religion when I was about 15. But since my nana died, I've started asking God, are you really there? And if you're real, I really want to know you. And I want to know about where my grandma is. And I just was like, wow, God's gone straight past the ankle and straight for the heart. I mean, this is that, that's the destination anyway, is the heart. And because everything that we do in life flows from the heart, and that's the way God's made us. So there's this incredible heart encounter taking place for Tammy. And, and, um, and I said, well, can we pray some more? And she said, yes, please, that would be great. And then I just said, you know, because God is not interested in religion, And he saw you when you were 15 and you got sick of religion, but he is interested in a relationship with you. And she said, I would like that. So we just prayed a simple prayer. Jesus, thank you that you're making yourself known to Tammy. And we just ask now that what you're doing in her heart would just become so real for her that it will transform her life forever. And she would know you as a good king and a saving God. And then she starts you know, the tears are trickling down the face and there's a transaction taking place in her where she's meeting with the love of God out the front of the cigarette bar at Woolworths. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, God is so alive. The Father is always at work and moving and, and breathing into the earth with his love, his furious, furious love. And he's pushing through anything and everything to let people know that he loves them and his kingdom is there for them. So anyway, not long after that, we, we parted. Now, um, now, I don't know what really happened with Tammy's ankle. She said there was no, there was no um, pain or anything in her ankle when we left, but there was no kind of really strong manifest pain in her ankle before we started either. So I, I don't know what happened to the ankle. And to be honest, I'm like, huh. The heart got hit. <laughs> that was, that's the target, you know, the heart of a person. And so I was so thankful to the Lord. But I, just, I was just like so inspired of hearing how God was using people like Tavia and others. I'm just like, I want in. <laughs> I don't want to watch from the sideline. I want in. And so anyways, I just want to say thanks, guys. You, your faith, your faith stirs faith in me to want to do this stuff. And I want to say thanks, church. You're awesome. Um. This morning, I I do want to uh, take a little bit of time just to explore this idea of coming alive to God. 
There's a, it's been interesting, when John Bajaya preached here a couple of weeks ago, he, he kind of used this um, phrase when he was praying, and I'm always kind of listening to guest speakers. I'm always like, all right, what are you on, Holy Spirit? Where are you, where are you going here? What are you really pushing on here? And he just used this kind of phrase when he was praying about people being awakened and coming alive to God. And I'm just like, boom, there it is. That, that's a word from the Lord. For not just for me, but for, for us as a people, that we would be a people who know what it means to live alive to God. And so, and then Robbie comes along, and wasn't it great to have Robbie come through and visit? I just am so encouraged by who he is as a person and how he follows Jesus and how the Lord's using him. And anyway, so uh, Robbie comes along and he, he encourages us as well to become alive to God. Now, this little phrase, alive to God, is, is actually a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Romans, in, in, in Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says this. He says, In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, what does he mean in the same way? Well, you have to go and read everything that leads up to that statement. But basically what he's saying in the preceding kind of scriptures is Paul is saying that Jesus, God's representative to us of love, became so identified with us in taking on our flesh, that in his life, in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, he has now all sin and, 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 and brokenness and all of humanity has been identified with Jesus in that action of God in the earth. And so Paul goes on and he kind of really labours the point in Romans chapter 6 about you've got to understand God has fully identified with people in Jesus. And so the death that Jesus dies, the burial of Jesus, is your burial and my burial by faith. In other words, that we believe that what he did for us then releases to us a new way of living. But there has to be a response from our end, which is faith. Now, one of the things that um, we have to continually do each day is we have to contend with the nature of the kingdom of darkness and we have to contend with the nature and the activity of sin, both in us, around us, in our cultural contexts, our relationships... We have to contend with it. But the key to remember is, and if you read Romans 6 and all of it, Paul says, you're no longer a slave to that, though. You're actually now, you've been transferred from being underneath the sin-bound rule and reign of Adam to now coming alive to the reality of living in and underneath the goodness and the grace of God in Jesus Christ the second Adam. And so you are now dead to Adam one and now alive to Adam two. And while you have to contend with some of the old ways, the old hungers of the flesh, the old thinkings, the sinful attitudes and ways and responses, we no longer are under the slavery of that. 
we are now underneath the goodness, the power, and the resurrection life of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But there has to come a moment, and this is why Paul uses this word. He says, count yourself. In other words, God's done what God's going to do, but now there's something you and I have to do. You yourself. There's, a, there's an engagement that God's looking for from his creation, from people, in light of what he's done for us through Jesus. And he says, count yourself. Now, that's a really cool word, that, that word, count yourself. Or in other versions, it says things like, consider yourself. If you want to really unpack that, that word, I've written it up the top there in Greek. I won't pronounce it to you. But it literally means this, to reckon, to count, to compute, to calculate, to impute, to deem, to judge, to determine, and to decide. In other words, you're dead to sin. But you have to count yourself dead to sin. Jesus has broken the power of the sin. You're no longer the slave of sin or your old ways. You're no longer owned by that. You've been rescued by love through the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's now opportunity to come out from underneath that slavery of sin and come alive to God in Christ. But, so there's two things that we need to do. One, we need to deem ourselves dead to sin. And two, with just as much vigour and will and passion and with the help of the Holy Spirit in us, we need to reckon ourselves alive to God. See, God's wanting participation here. He's wanting relationship here. You know, Nick and I, we've been married 24 years now. And you know what? For our marriage to stay fresh, for it to stay alive, for it to stay engaged, for us to navigate difficulty and circumstance and situation, we have to continue to engage and invest and relate. As soon as we stop counting ourselves as married, our marriage starts to become dead. And we can't blame God for that. We can't say, God, how come our relationship's dying here? We can't blame him for that. He's made a way for us through Christ that we don't live under the dead, but we can live in the resurrection life and the new of Jesus, even in our marriage. But it's now on our end to count ourselves alive to God with each other. It's the same with people in the body of Christ, in the church. Man, I love the church. I'm so, I just want to declare God into the earth. God loves his church. I mean, God loves his church. It's the church. It's the body of Christ. It's the community of Jesus. It's the society of the atoning sacrifice of Christ that through us, through the body of Christ, that the world would know God's alive God's alive because look at this great big strange group of colourful people who on every other day of the week probably wouldn't choose to hang out together and yet when they come together in the presence of God, lives are transformed. The poor are fed. The demonised get set free and Chris serves really good coffee. <laughs> God loves the church. And if ever... There needs to be a heralding statement right now into our, into our cultural context. 
It's God loves the church. But it's like the church, you know, Nicky Gumbel, who share, I was watching a little bit of his Alpha teaching a few months back, and he, he, he answers this question about what about the church. And he says, you know, there was this young guy that was sitting with this old guy in front of a fireplace one night, and the young guy came to the old guy and said, well, I need to talk with you because I'm totally frustrated with the church. That church is, they're holding me back, man. They're just like, they're so slow, they're awkward, they're holding me back, they're not appreciating who I really am in God. And I've got problems with the church, so I'm probably going to just like, like move away from that, from the church. And so the old guy, as he's listening to this young guy share his frustrations with the, about his experience of the church, he reaches, the old guy takes, you know, those tongs that you can move coals around in the fire. And he reaches into the, the fire and he takes out one right from the middle, the, the brightest, the most burning hot coal that he could see in there. And he takes it out and he just puts it on the hearth just in front of the fireplace so that it, it, it just sits there. And so, and he sits back down again and the young man continues to just share his frustrations and the old gentleman's just listening, not saying a word. And then after a little while, it becomes obvious that that burning, bright, red-hot coal is slowly becoming darker and more ashen, is losing its flame, becoming dull to the point where it nearly goes out. And then the, as the young man finishes his, you know, heartfelt expression of how he's doing with the body of Christ, the church, the old gentleman just walks back over with the tongs and picks up that coal that once burned bright and is now dead and ashened and cold. And he just reaches back into the fire and he places it right back into the middle of the fireplace. And as he does it, that coal gets struck again by the fire of the rest of the coals and comes alive again and the old man just sits back down and the young boy just goes I understand see we need the church we need each other church isn't a venue church isn't a building church is you and me the people of Jesus coming together to honor God call for his kingdom to come and together we figure out God how are we going to turn this world upside down by the power of your love one person at a time out the front of Woolworths in front of the cigarette bay how are we going to do it God how are we going to feed all these poor that keep coming to us? How are we going to like encourage young people to pursue God with every bit of energy that they've got? How, God, show us. Let's do this to get we need the, king, we need the king's people with each other. But it's, 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 there comes a point where we have to count ourselves in, as in involved with God, with his people. There's a quote I want to read to you by a guy called Scott McKnight. He's a, he's a brilliant sort of theologian and thinker. And um, I've just been reading one of his books. And it's this great statement. He says this. He says, The kingdom of God in short compass is the society in which the will of God is established to transform all of life. The kingdom of God is more than what God is doing within you more than God's personal dynamic presence. It is what God is doing in this world through the community of faith for the redemptive plans of God. 
including what God is doing in you and in me. The kingdom transforms relationships with God, with self, with others and the world. So if you think it's, if you've narrowed this thing down to it's all about you getting to heaven, you, you've bought a very small vision. Yes, Jesus came for you, but he also came for the world. He also came to restore God's created order back to the way it should have been and always should have been. He came for the people on the other side of the planet that speak different languages and tongues and have different cultures and customs than you and I might have. He even, he even, did, he, he, he even like came to restore an understanding of relationships with the people next door or over the fence or even you know, in our workplace or in maybe the people that you're sitting with today here in the vineyard. There's, a, there's an impact that's very, very big, but very few give themselves to the power of it. God transforms relationship. It's a transforming experience to meet Jesus with God, with others, with self, and with the world. Perhaps the most incredible revelation that I know I've personally had was that when I came into the experience of the love of God for, um, I mean, he knocked on my door numbers of times. But I was too angry. I was too, like, I, I didn't understand him. I thought he was going to come and rip me off and make me this kind of, like, passive, quiet do-gooder. Little did I realise that his love, like, completely legitimised my life turned me around and took all my anger and then made it his compassion. And now I just get to turn the world upside down with every act I do in his name and see people's, people's lives transformed. When he came and he made himself known to me, that, that, that simple scripture in John chapter 3, 16 says, you know, he, he loved the world that he gave the one and only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have life eternal. You see, our lives are perishing without Jesus. In fact, my life choices was full of people, activities, habits and attitudes that were literally killing me and robbing me of the very life that I desperately wanted. I had no vision of life other than the next 72 hours of selfish choices. I had no vision of life beyond that. I had no plans other than to use people to make my life feel better. But then he came to me. And in that moment, I came to him. You see, I received an encounter with Jesus that's fueled my life for over 26 years. It's a daily relationship with a loving Saviour who says, Man, Kirk, I've saved you for so much more. I mean, I've got big vision. You've only got to sit down and have a coffee with me and then give me two minutes and it'll turn into like hours and I will go and go and go. I got plenty of vision, but it's all fueled by God. He's ruined me with his love. He's given me his eternal life now and into the age to come. 
kingdom life here and now. I've come into the power of his love. But along the way, I had to, what was that crazy word again? Logizomai. Close? How do I say it? Good enough. All right, that's my Aussie Greek. <laughs> Logizomai. <laughs> Something like that. I should have listened to the audio track of how they pronounce the words before I chair it. But anyway, um, but I had to reckon myself dead to my old man. So that, and then I, at the same time, had to reckon myself alive to Christ and what he was doing. I think a lot of the time we live this half kind of jilted relational love affair with God where we've counted ourselves dead to sin we embrace the cross we say thank you but we haven't reckoned ourselves now now my will has been set free by the love of God now my mind my flesh my spirit is now free to reckon itself and come alive to God it's there that I think the body of Christ is lacking we get the, yeah, I'm dead to this. Yeah, I understand. I've counted myself dead to that. That's why I make choices to walk away from this and give that up and not behave like that and not speak like that anymore. But, the, but it's the, oh, but now I need to follow God. Yeah, you need to choose to come alive to that. You need to bring your will to that. Transformation of relationship with God with self. You see, at some point in the journey of the kingdom, life, and relationship, we actually need to start to love ourselves as much as God does. Hello? Come on, church. Come on, people. We actually need to choose to love ourselves as much as God does. Well, how much does God love us? Well, I just touched on that in John 3.16. He loved us so much that the Son of God would take on flesh, bearing our sin nature upon himself, taking it all upon himself, living, yielded under the power of the Holy Spirit, going to the cross to overcome and overturn the impact of sin and death and its mastery over us, and in rising again, bringing Here's the true identity of what it means to be human being. A true human being. Jesus, the resurrected one. A true human being. He shows us. That's how much God loves us. And at some point we need to come alive to that reality. We need to actually embrace the fact that when Jesus told about the pearl of great price, not only was he referring to himself, but he was referring to you, that the pearl merchant would go and liquidate all his assets on the cross to purchase the pearl that he'd so desperately wanted to see restored and given life. You're the pearl. I'm the pearl. And at some point, we need to choose to take the lens of the old Adam and put it over there and take up the lens of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and how the Father sees us as the righteous ones of God because of Jesus. You know, God actually calls us friends. Friend. 
Jesus said it in John 15. I no longer call you servant. I call you friend. Paul uses language in Romans 8 where he says, we are now the children of God. No longer are we the children of death and destruction. Now we are the children of God through Jesus Christ. He even goes as far as to say, you know what? You've been adopted into the reality of God's love and he's like this Abba Father. So fatherly, so loving, and he calls us sons and daughters of God. See, that's who we really are in Christ. But have we reckoned ourselves alive to that? Have we come into the power of that reckoning, of that counting, of that, uh, you know, imputing the work of God to ourselves to say, you know what, I know I'm dead to that, but now, now is my time to come alive to who I am in God. Friends with Jesus, servants of God, relationships with others. You know, once upon a time, I mentioned earlier, the biggest you know, hurdle that God did in my life was to take me from being this person that would want to consume for my own comfort and well-being because <laughs> I was in the center of my own life. And yet then Jesus comes along and he puts himself in the center. And now I want to, you know, as to use the words of Paul, and it's God, it's the work of God because I have reckoned myself alive to the work of God. I now pour myself out for others. I'm not, I'm not interested in people gratifying my, the needs that only God can fill. When we come alive to God, it's a case of, I, I just want to be spent for his, his glory and the well-being of others. Have I come alive to that? Well, how do you know if you've come alive to that? What's your first reaction when someone says, help? I haven't got time, I haven't got resources, I haven't got this, I haven't got that. Or, yep, I'm there. Just, just do a little assessment of your own, your own responses. And... and the other impact there is transformation of relationship with the world. I remember once when Nicole and I, we were sitting in a little cafe with some, some friends that became very good friends and instrumental in our life. One of them, he's now gone home to be with God, and his name was Mark. And, but this other guy that I met at that coffee table was a guy, he was a Filipino gentleman, and yet he lived in Thailand, and his name was Sonny. And Sonny used to work with Brother Andrew in the Open Doors and, uh, program. And Open Doors back in the sort of the 80s was, was this, and it still is, was, but they would smuggle Bibles into all the places in the world where Bibles weren't allowed to be. And I remember sitting down having this coffee with Nicole and I and Mark and Sonny. And then Mark said, I want to introduce you to Sonny. And so we're like, oh, this sounds good. And then Sonny sits there, and then before you know it, Sonny starts talking about what God's doing with his life. And the best way that Sonny could explain that was he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a map of the world. And he unfolded the map of the world in front of me. And then he started to tell Nicole and I for the next hour, and we had to shut him down because he was so, like, going on, 
For the next hour, he just told us what God was doing in all these nations around the world and how he was involved in finding people and resources from all over the planet so that Jesus' kingdom could become known to all these people groups across the world that have never heard the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. And then I got to know Sonny very, very well. I traveled with Sonny a lot. And every time we would go and sit with people, Sonny would do this thing. He would sit with them and he'd go, now, and he'd pull out the world map. He had such vision. God had completely taken, I mean, some of Sonny's backstory was he, he was, he was a trained military guy. And he was a trained military guy that would go and do covert stuff. So he would kind of disappear, go do covert stuff and then come back again. And God took that man that would do that sort of stuff, all that training and activity that was once used to bring death and destruction, Jesus interrupted his life and he took that man and, he, and that man counted him alive to, himself alive to God. And then from then on he was like, right, here's our vision, the world. And we're going to affect the world for Jesus. And I tell you, he's still doing it today. Smuggling Bibles and people and resources all over this planet where you say you can't get it, he gets it. Because God knows, God's made him. And now he's been transformed. And his vision is to affect the world for Jesus. Maybe God hasn't given us a, you know, all-consuming world plan. <laughs> but maybe he has asked you to maybe think about the people that live three doors down from you and asked you to come alive in him for their well-being. Maybe, maybe he's, he's started to put on your heart, would you come alive as a representative of his to the school teachers that are working in our schools, to your university lecturers, to the lost, to the poor, to the downtrodden. It, it affected me so greatly that day when Sonny opened that world map up <laughs> that the love of God could do that with a person. It affected me so greatly and I just kept saying, how, do you do, how would you do that? And he just says story after story after story of just following Jesus, following Jesus following Jesus, but he counted himself alive to it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us to the world. And so Paul says to the church, he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf through the church to the world. Here's the message. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom for the world, for our nation, for our region, for our street, for our families. So this morning, I want to just finish with this. Um, King Solomon once wrote, 
and I love this, uh, this scripture. King Solomon once wrote, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Recently, um, I was able to go on a Christian retreat for four days. And on this retreat, I was with sort of a dozen other guys and, uh, that I'd never met before. And we had all these other people around us serving us and looking after us. But in this retreat, um, I, it was four days and there was lots of liturgy and prayer and silence and communions. And it was like really full, full-blown deal. And and, and through it all, God was starting to make himself known to me and speak to me again about some of the early callings that he placed in my life some 26 years ago now. And he started to fan those back into my mind in, my, in front of me again, and I could feel myself coming alive to that. And, but you know how, after, you know, just through the course of time, and we all do this, we all kind of have this sense of, okay, I'm going to like do this with my life. Or we, we start to come alive to a sense of purpose and, 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 and for our lives. And we start to pursue that academically, vocationally, relationally. However, we start to move towards it. And then we, we get buffeted around by the process because it, does, it doesn't come easy. And there's challenges and there's threats to that that we desperately wanted to come alive to. And, and, and in the course of that, you start to find yourself getting disappointed and hurt and, and even like other people kind of watching that and speaking at, at your journey and they're going, they'll never do that or what are you doing that for? Don't be so stupid. And they start to rob you. And before you know it, you start to, your heart starts to get a little pr- protective and guarded from relationships and you want to sort of like you, you start to become a little like on on guard in the sense of I just want to make sure no one else is going to hurt my heart here and you take this kind of posture with your heart and relationships towards others and as you do that you're guarding your heart and anyway I was on this retreat and the Lord said to me Kirk you need to stop guarding your heart I said, but I'm like, but Lord, but Lord, I know what King Solomon once said. <laughs> Have you ever had the Lord speak to you and you go, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but Lord, I'm like, but Lord, King Solomon said, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life or everything that we do flows from our heart, the condition of our heart. He says, yes, that's true. But he says, you need to stop guarding your heart with your pain. With your suspicion and your cynicism of people. You need to stop guarding your heart with your pain of disappointment. And I'm like, well, Lord, what do I guard my heart with? And he said, I've given you my Holy Spirit. Have you counted your heart alive to him who lives there? The character, the power, the fruit, the love, the capacity of my Holy Spirit. And I was just like undone. I'm like, Lord, you're so right. 
I think sometimes in the journey of, wanting, of coming alive to God, we've started well because we counted ourselves dead to sin. But along the way, we've taken the hits, we've taken the disappointments, and we've taken them into ourselves and built a barrier around our hearts rather than giving them to Jesus and coming alive to the power of the Holy Spirit in the face of all of those realities and relationships and circumstances. So anyway, at the end of this retreat, I stood up in front of the, all of the people that were there serving the people that were on the retreat. And there was this room of about 50 people that were complete strangers to me, all standing there, been serving me all weekend, nameless and faceless people, just serving that I would have an encounter with Jesus. And I would have an encounter with Jesus. And they served everything. And they stood me up in front of that group of people who'd sat there serving me all week. And they said, what has this four days meant to you? And what are you going to do about it? The first bit was easy to answer. God showed me my heart and how guarded it had become. And then they said, and what are you going to do about it? That's the next bit. And I said, I'm going to learn to choose to reject, choose to reject all the pain, choose to reject the passivity, choose to reject the disappointments, choose to reject the broken hopes and promises and the words of people, choose to reject the judgments and attitudes of others, and I'm going to live with a full heart, undivided unto God. And I said, please pray for me. Come alive to God, friends. The Holy Spirit is here. And he's welcoming us from these guarded, defensive, suspicious, cynical lives. Where we know we've said yes to death, to sin. But now the spirit of the living God is upon us to transform not just our life, our life in him, our life to ourself, our life to others, that the world would know, that the world would know. There is big vision in the heart of God and we are all a very important part of it. Let's stand and pray.